0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, top conservatives meet to review the election results. We're going to go through the results and analyze the campaign and uh, address what didn't work and do more of what did work. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe challenges the Prime Minister to meet with him. If the Prime Minister of this nation is truly supportive of the people in this province, he will reach out. And talk to us about a new deal with Canada. And Alberta launches a carbon tax on large emitters. And I think it's,
1: it's a recognition of, of reality out there, uh, you know, in Alberta and the Kenny government, that large emitters should help share the costs uh, that are being borne by the broader society.
0: It's Wednesday, October 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for The Chronicle Herald. Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So top conservatives are gathered in Ottawa and apparently they've been reviewing the election results. And of course, outside of Ottawa and across the country, there are lots of people weighing in on the future of Andrew Scheer. I think in the hours after election night, uh, a lot of people felt, well, you know, the, the conservatives won the popular vote. They've improved their Seat count, uh, there's a chance that Andrew Shearer, a good chance that he would keep his job. It feels like that's changed in the past week. What's happened?
1: Yeah, you know, that is that is a really interesting question. And uh, I don't claim to be privy to the uh, internal dynamics of the Conservative Party right now. Uh, but there does seem to be a, a change in the air, if you will, like what, what is being said by uh, senior conservatives. And and there was a a quote last night um, on the supper hour shows uh, by Rachel Curran, who uh, works for Stephen Harper uh, at his consulting firm and was a senior official in the uh, Harper uh, PMO. And she's expressing, shall we say, a lack of confidence in Andrew Scheer. I mean, not expressly calling for a new leader, but um sort of damning with faint praise and i, I kind of think mark that um the conservatives really thought they were going to win the election and i mean i think that's why they're so kind of downcast and so down on on sheer right now uh, is that um you know their hopes were up pretty high and they've gotten beaten down pretty hard um uh, but it's a tough spot for them. I mean, given the timing alone is, is really difficult uh, for the Conservatives right now. So uh, this will be interesting to see what they come up with over the next uh, few weeks.
0: And I think some Conservatives are also looking ahead to the next election, whenever that might be, and thinking, can we picture a different outcome? Is it, is it possible? Do we see upside in Andrew Shear that he could win seats in the next election that the Conservatives didn't win this time?
1: Yeah, and the timing, again, is really dicey because, I mean, in a minority parliament, you know, the floor could fall out of it at any time. And the last thing the conservatives need is, uh, you know, a, a, some sort of leadership struggle going on with all that that entails. Eternal party battles can be really nasty. And, uh, you know, if that's going on and suddenly there's a need for an election, uh, well, then we're, we're, you know, what are they going to do? So there's going to be, I think, a lot of people saying, look, we can't uh, abandon Shear now because, uh, you know, there could be a, a snap election at almost any time, uh, which would put the party in a really, really tough spot. So, uh, the, um, you know, th- there are, there's a lot on their plate there, uh, that's for sure. Um, and a lot to, to sort out before yeah. they can uh, you know get to the next point.
0: Yeah, and that's why there are some people saying that a decision should be made before the end of the year. Don't wait for April. So we'll see how that yeah. plays out in the days ahead. Let's turn to Prime Minister Trudeau and his relationship with Alberta and Saskatchewan. And it's interesting because uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan have no representatives in the next government, in the Liberal government. Uh, But at the same time, uh, the outcome of this election means that we're spending a lot of time talking about Alberta and Saskatchewan. (laughs) So yesterday, (laughs) uh, Justin Trudeau kind of brought on board Anne McClellan, the former Deputy Prime Minister who was an Alberta MP for the Liberals, as a special advisor on Western Canada. Meanwhile, Scott Moe, the Premier of Saskatchewan, is sort of putting out a challenge in the public for the Prime Minister to come and meet with him. Uh, So there's a lot going on here. How do you see Justin Trudeau moving forward on this?
1: Well, he has to take all of this very seriously. You know, uh, know, these are big provinces, and they've got legitimate economic uh, issues um, before them. Uh, They chose to vote against uh, the Liberals' Uh, and they shouldn't be so surprised why they have no MPs. You know, this is the way things work. Um, And, you know, bringing in McClellan and and senior people out to try to figure out where to approach the problems uh, is a first step, but uh, it's all being aggravated, of course. You have very intemperate and and really short-sighted statements by by Scott Moe going on about, you know, refusing to sort of condemn the separatist kind of talk uh, and carrying on with this idea that all of the West's economic problems are caused only by Ottawa and by no other factor. I mean, that's just silly. And, uh, you know, it may sell well among a certain segment of the Conservative vote in the West, uh, but it's not something that is going to be more broadly accepted in Canada. And if you want to do things like change the Constitution, you know, if you want to upend equalization and things like that, uh, you're not going to do that with only the consent of conservative-leaning voters in one part of the country. Uh, so this this thing is, you know, being cast as Trudeau's political problem, and it is, but it's also problems for people like Kenny and Moe, who are now basically absolving themselves and their own government, their own jurisdiction of any responsibility, and, and saying, well, it's all Ottawa. Um, and yet these are the same kinds of people, politicians who will turn around later when Ottawa does something and say, well, you're stepping on our toes. So, I mean, it were ever thus. I've seen this before, but uh, now they seem to be uh, like-minded out there in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan.
0: One of the things I wonder about is uh, if the Prime Minister brings Anne McClellan on board and he continues to reach out to uh, politicians at other levels of government, like Nahed Nenshi, the mayor of Calgary, the mayor of Edmonton. Uh, I think he reached out to some mayors in, in Saskatchewan as well. Uh, is he speaking to like-minded people and, and creating a bit of an echo chamber rather than reaching out to the people who didn't vote for the Liberals in this election?
1: Well, you know, I, it seems to me that some people, like Kenny and Mo particularly, but also people, their surrogates, are are trying to impose the conservative election platform on an electorate that rejected it. Uh you know and while the conservatives probably had some good ideas in their overall approach in their election platform ideas that in a minority parliament should be given serious consideration and this is where it should be taking place. It should be taking place in parliament. Uh the conservatives have a massive opposition uh presence in the chamber. Um, they can make deals with the greens or the ndp or whoever they want they can whip hand the uh, liberals uh until the cows come home uh but they you know and our parliamentary system is set up to make those sorts of things happen but that has to be the resolve and this is the phony war in front of all this now is the, the public press release war that's going on um, but it's not going to matter all that much until we get into a parliamentary situation where people actually have real things to vote on and, and real ideas to support or oppose.
0: All right, let's talk about what's happening in Alberta. Jason Kenney's government has uh, brought in a $30 per ton carbon tax on large industrial facilities, and this actually does, in to some extent, align the provincial government uh, with the federal government uh, and its climate law and means that there might not be the kind of intervention in Alberta by the federal government to impose a carbon tax that we've seen in Ontario. So how does that change the landscape of this fight between conservative premiers and the federal government over carbon pricing?
1: Mm. It is an interesting development, and I think it's it's a recognition of of reality out there, uh, you know in Alberta and the Kenny government that large emitters should help share the costs um, that are being borne by the broader society. And um, you know it, it's, uh, and it's the same sort of thing. You get a lot of people, well, I want to drive my SUV around in the middle of the city. Uh, you're going to pay more for parking, you're going to pay more for this and and, and everything else. Well, these big emitters uh, shouldn't be able to get away scot-free. They're in a better position to pay some of these carbon levies than individuals are. So this is a good place to start. And, I mean, it just sort of makes you wonder what Kenny was talking about during the entire election campaign, where he just relentlessly attacked every form of carbon pricing and, uh, you know, as if none of this was going on, and now suddenly, after the you know, federal election, now we have a new Alberta budget, and everything's different somehow. But I, I, you've got to say that this is a, a positive step, because at least the Alberta Conservatives are now seeing there is a need to, you know, make polluters pay. And that's what the people want, and I think even Albertans want that.
0: All right, good stuff, Dan. Great to have your thoughts on all of this. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Okay, Mark. Thanks for the
0: call. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for The Chronicle Herald. We're going to go through the results and analyze the campaign and uh, address what didn't work and do more of what did work. Now let's look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Matt Gurney argues the Conservatives showing in Toronto may seal Andrew Scheer's fate. Gurney writes, The Conservatives are conducting a full review of their campaign. And when Andrew Scheer faces a leadership review vote in six months, the findings will no doubt be a central part of what makes or breaks him. But in the meantime, it seems that the matter at hand is actually straightforward. Why did the Conservatives do worse in the GTA this time compared to the last election? And can the party realistically believe Scheer will do better there next time? At GlobalNews.ca, Bill Kelly asks if Conservatives are lining up against Andrew Scheer. Kelly writes... It's cold comfort to Conservatives that they increased their seat total and had a slight edge in the popular vote. Fact is, they didn't score well in Ontario and Quebec and the Maritimes, and some prominent Conservatives are laying the blame at Andrew Scheer's feet. Scheer says he's staying on as leader, but given the growing anger among some of the Conservative faithful, it may not be his decision to make. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason asks if a socially Conservative party can govern a Liberal Canada. Mason writes, The question conservatives need to ask themselves is whether you can build a modern political entity that reflects some fundamental shifts in public attitudes and values while still being true to your founding principles. Or do you run the risk of scaring traditional supporters out the back door? One thing seems certain. It will always be a challenge to broaden your appeal as a party behind a leader whose viewpoints on moral issues are at odds with a majority of the public. At Policy Options, Bob Ray argues, successful minority parliaments require goodwill and humility. Ray writes, There is no such thing as strong minority. One vote short or 20 makes no difference. Success will require a strong and coherent agenda, a willingness to address the regional frictions in the country, an ability to listen and then to execute effectively— and an equal willingness on the part of opposition parties to understand that they did not succeed in convincing the electorate that they should govern. A strong dose of humility all round is required. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, October 30th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.